Welcome back to iGen Politics. This is a podcast that makes politics engaging and relevant for all generations. This is Victor Shee. And I'm Jill Wine-Banks. And today's hashtag Jill's pin is sort of a crazy Picasso-esque-like head. And that's because I really think we're living in really crazy times. And we'll discuss all of that today. Sometimes weeks feel like years, and last week was certainly one of them. It started with the D.C. Court of Appeals rejecting Donald Trump's bid for presidential immunity uh, in the January 6th case. Then the Supreme Court heard oral arguments over whether Trump could be barred from the Colorado ballot under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. And then the week ended with Special Counsel Robert Hur releasing his report on President Biden's handling of classified information which included numerous gratuitous and inappropriate comments about President Biden's age and memory. And this week, Trump asked the Supreme Court for a stay of his federal January 6th trial while he appeals the Court of Appeals immunity decision. Today, we have the perfect guest to discuss all of this, Congressman Jamie Raskin, who is for me, as I'm sure he is for you, one of my biggest heroes. He did a phenomenal job as the impeachment manager for the January 6th committee. He is now the ranking member of the House Oversight Committee, which is doing a very effective job among the Democrats of exposing the hypocrisy of the Republican members of that committee who are seeking to impeach everyone they can think of on the Democratic side, but particularly, of course, our president and uh, Secretary Mayorkas. Previously, Congressman Raskin was a constitutional law professor at American University Law School. He served as general counsel for Jesse Jackson's National Rainbow Coalition and was a member of the Maryland State Legislature. We are so excited to have him with us today. And we cannot thank you enough, uh, Representative Raskin, for being on our podcast today. Thank you. I'm delighted to be with you, Joe. Thank you so much for being with us, Congressman Raskin. The news that seems to be top of mind for a lot of people right now is the mention of President Biden's age and memory in Robert Hur's report. At the same time, he declined to prosecute, but said on page one that President Biden willfully retained documents before saying 200 pages later that there was not sufficient evidence to prove beyond a reasonable doubt and that there were innocent explanations that Hur could not rebut. So I'm wondering, what are your top line takeaways, both as a member of Congress and as a former constitutional law professor, as you read this report? Basically, the people should be able to understand this in a perfectly commonsensical way. Um, you know, as vice president or as president, um, Biden, like um you know, Mike Pence as vice president for uh, Trump uh, routinely took home classified in documents. I mean, in, at a certain point, you just become immune to it. The fact that that's just part of what you're dealing with. Um, and um, there was no there was no uh, discernible criminal intent in the sense of um, taking a whole bunch of documents, knowing that they were uh, classified and then stowing them away and trying to keep them from the government or keep them from an investigation. In other words, there was nothing like exactly what Donald Trump did. Donald Trump really stole those documents. He hid them when he was called on it. 
he returned some of them and not others. Whereas Joe Biden is in that Mike Pence category of bringing some stuff home and putting it someplace and forgetting that he left it there. And that's, you know, that's not uh, a manifestation of senility. I mean, human memory is just hazy and foggy generally. I mean, you know, where did where did you leave your notebook this morning? Uh, you know, well, where did you put your briefcase down? I mean, come on. And so I, I think that, you know, the operative conclusion of this, uh, you know, very long report is in the first sentence. We conclude that no criminal charges are warranted in the matter. Um, and there's not much more that really needs to be said. The rest of it is commentary and a lot of it, you know, superfluous, gratuitous, editorializing commentary that uh, one would have to be very naive to believe uh, the author didn't understand would be immediately grist for the political mill. Um, in my opinion, the author specifically did it to provide grist for the political uh, party of Donald Trump. And as a prosecutor, I can see how much this violates the Department of Justice rules and regulations for any prosecution where you will never make comments that would hurt the reputation of a potential subject of an investigation when you decide that there is no case to be brought against that person. So it really outrages me as it does so many people that he, he did this because you're right. He should have stopped with, there is not sufficient evidence to bring a case. We decline to uh, go forward. Whatever he says in his private report to the attorney general is one thing, but what he releases publicly. But, okay, so one, I'm assuming you agree it violates DOJ rules, but is there a way to hold Robert Herr accountable? Is there anything that your committee is thinking of doing or anything you know any uh, House members are thinking of doing, uh, subpoenaing Robert Herr to testify um, and anything that could hold him accountable for what he did. You can't well, undo I'm, the damage. I'm sure there's nothing that we can do with the Republicans in control of the House. Um, yeah. The Judiciary Committee under Jim Jordan, the Oversight Committee under James Comer are obviously not going to have any interest in that. Now, they might decide to bring him forward in order to further amplify uh, the various smears and innuendo contained in the report. And in that case, the the Democrats would at least have the opportunity to cross-examine him um, on his very dubious decisions to include all of his speculations and judgments and hypothetical uh, imagination of what would happen before a jury and how a jury would regard um, Joe Biden as a, I can't remember the exact words, but something like a, a sweet old man or a nice old man, um, something like that. Well-intentioned, well-intentioned elderly man. Well-intentioned elderly man. I mean, come on, you know, yeah. the, the whole spine of the legal process is a series of operative legal judgments based on relevant evidence about specific questions, right? But if a jury came back in a trial and said, we find 
the defendant not guilty but we think he's drinking too much and he really <laughs> needs to be calling his mother more often and uh, we don't like his relationships everybody would say what the hell that's not your role and this is just not the guy's role he's not uh, to my knowledge a a geriatric medical specialist who can be speculating about age. I don't know that he has any um, scientific grounding or training in memory or memory loss or, you know, whatever. Now, all of that, of course, is beside the point from um, how President Biden, or for that matter, Donald Trump, should be dealing with the question of uh, their age or their memory. I mean, remember, this isn't just a Biden thing. This is a Trump thing. Trump confused one of his wives for the <laughs> woman that he sexually assaulted and defamed, E. Jean Carroll. He thought that was uh, one of his former wives. And, yeah. um, you know, so you get to an age, people make these verbal slip ups. And, um, you know, I don't think it's fair to try to invalidate the concerns that people might have about it. You just need to address them. Yeah. Um, speaking of actions that the House Oversight Committee has taken yesterday, um, Representative James Comer on the committee and his Republican colleagues sent a letter to um, Merrick Garland asking for transcripts and documents by this Friday. And they were very insistent on this Friday by 5 p.m. What do you make of that? Is that a genuine attempt to sort of get, you know, transparency, or is there something probably deeper behind this, more political, do you think? You know, I uh, forgive me, because I haven't looked at all of that stuff yet this morning. Um, uh, we, we got caught in a fake snowstorm. Uh, and um, so I've, I haven't looked to see exactly what they've said. I mean, I'll give you the big picture, Victor. I mean, we, you know, we've been at this for more than a year now. Um, I think to call it a wild goose chase, um, as, um, you know, people have been calling it for a long time, um, is almost an insult to wild goose chases because, um, the, you know, the energy is sort of seeping out of it. Um, you know, we don't even know what it's about anymore. It's not a whodunit. It is a what is it? I mean, is it about Ukraine? Is it about China? Is it about the rules of the California bar? Um, Hunter Biden's laptop? I mean, one thing we know it can't be about is alleged high crimes and misdemeanors of President Joe Biden, because they can't even specify what it is they're talking about. So um, forgive me for not having caught up with um, the, the the recent correspondence over the weekend to the Department of Justice. I will check it out. Um, but every week we're promised some new bombshell breakthrough or what have you, and then they just end up with egg all over their face. Elle. Elle. Je. Je. Il. Il. Tu. Tu. Nous. Nous. Vous. Vous. One in five Americans have learning a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you check it off your list with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't help you speak the language. And I'm one of the 20% of Americans who want to learn a new, or in my case, relearn one from hundreds of years ago when I was in college, and Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are the perfect way to do it. Babbel's lessons are crafted by over 200 language experts. 
to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. It's designed by real people for real conversations with tips and tools that use conversation-based teaching to be approachable, accessible, and rooted in real-life situations. You'll be using what you've learned in the real world in no time. So, Jill, I love using Babbel. You know I've taken Mandarin Chinese before, but I want to explore new languages. And so Babbel offers me a great way to do that. Um, Right now, I'm actually practicing at international restaurants. um, And I think LA is a great place to do it. There are a lot of different, diverse types of restaurants where people speak different languages at the restaurant. And so I think it's a great way for me to practice simple phrases. Um, And, and, you know, I I go eat quite often because I'm not a great cooker. So uh, it gives me a great opportunity to practice my skills I learned from Babbel. Um, But what about you? How have you uh, enjoyed your time on Babbel? Well, first of all, I would like to say that delicious food is a great motivator for learning a new language. And Babbel is terrific. It has speech recognition technology to help you pronounce things better and improve your accents. And for me, who sounds like a Chicagoan, no matter what language I'm speaking, it's been very helpful. I love when I say something back to Babbel and I get a checkmark that they understood what I was saying. Absolutely. Studies from Yale, Michigan State, and others continue to prove Babbel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold, plus all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. You need to try it. And we have a special limited-time deal for our listeners, and that should encourage you to do it right now. Sign up. Right now, you get 50% off a one-time payment for a lifetime Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners. Go to babbel.com slash iGen. Get 50% off. That's 50% at babbel.com slash iGen. And it's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash I-G-E-N. Rules and restrictions may apply, so you can start your language adventures quickly with the link in our show notes. Well, also, since we've mentioned Merrick Garland, um, I'd like to ask you about how you feel he handled the release of the her report. Is he responsible for failing to redact some of the totally, as you described it, superfluous, gratuitous, totally irrelevant, and probably completely false uh, information that he released? And, you know, obviously it has some political ramifications, maybe not any legal ramifications, but. Um, should he have redacted? Well, um, you know, I suppose I don't mind being a Monday morning quarterback kid. I've been in that situation. I hope I would have uh, redacted that stuff. I mean, having said that, um, you know, it's a lot easier to tax the attorney general and members of President Biden's administration with being overly concerned about the appearance of absolute fairness, right? So, um, you know, had anything been redacted, that undoubtedly would have become a series of hearings by James Comer and Jim Jordan and mega Republicans about why that had been done. Um, but I look, I do think we're, we're living in the time of absolute political asymmetry where um, Donald Trump and his followers get away with the most outrageous offenses, yeah. some of them legal, some of them 
political saying that Vladimir Putin should just go ahead and invade European NATO allies um, or Donald Trump inciting a violent insurrection against the Union and deliberately trying to get his vice president to step outside of his uh, constitutional role in order to declare Donald Trump victor. And th they don't care anything about that. Um, but then, um, you know, they will magnify the most trivial offenses on the Democratic side. And rather than, um, you know, shrug that off, I think a, a lot of uh, Democrats instead say, well, we're basically going to bend over backwards um, all day long in order to placate these rampaging mega authoritarians. Um, and I just, you know, I don't think that that kind of quotidian appeasement strategy works in any way. So um, I think, uh, you know, this is, you know, clearly a political provocation, what we have in this multi-hundred page report that came out. All we really need to know from a special counsel is, um, are you bringing criminal charges or not? And uh, you know, we don't need his speculations on uh, the state of other people's psyche, mind, uh, heart, memory, or what have you. Do you think this means that we should um, revise the special counsel rules and regulations, how he's appointed uh, or she, and how the special counsel should be making a report one confidential to the attorney general, one for public. You can say more in confidential. A, a press memo to your boss is one thing, but that doesn't mean you then stand on a stage and say, I'm not indicting, but whatever you want to add. Uh, should we be looking at revising those rules and regs and the appointment? Yeah, I, mean, I, I mean, I appreciate that approach, Jill. I think that's probably right. One would have hoped that that was unnecessary. Um, yeah. You know, this is the, the, another micro norm that appears to have been busted. Uh, and so I think it does make sense to explicitly rebuild it um, and to put it in that what we need is the legal judgment and the considerations that went into it. But uh, in this report, we have something that strays way beyond uh, what's warranted for the occasion. Okay, so um, we want to shift to talk about age because like we said, this uh, report uh, amped up a lot of the media's focus on Biden's age. And I think it's a, like you said, it's a conversation that I think a lot of people are having and are frankly concerned about. You're on the campaign trail a lot and, and I want to get your take on what is the, or what is your response to those who think President Biden is too old and that we need fresh leadership um, and, and why you think the press coverage of his age and his gaffes versus, like you said, the, the things that Trump says um, blatantly about, you know, wanting to uh, have Russia invade NATO allies. Why is it so unfair and so imbalanced? Well, first of all, yeah, I've been to 17 states now. I think I've got a, do a dozen more states I'm going to go out to be campaigning for my colleagues for and for President Biden and the Democratic ticket. Um, I, I don't, this is not a major uh, consideration, I think, on people's minds. It's a minor one. And the reason it's not a major one, I think, is because 
President Biden at his Valley Forge speech really set forth what the campaign is about. This campaign is about whether democracy and freedom as we understand them and as we've uh, tried to construct and embody them in law are under siege, not just in America, but all over the world. Um, and so we really do have the, the plutocrats, the autocrats um, in Moscow, the kleptocrats in Mar-a-Lago, the theocrats in MAGA and Mike Johnson, all lining up on one side to try to destabilize and overthrow basic democratic political institutions and traditions and values. And then we got the Democrats on the other side. And I think people get that. Um, and you know, I know there's some attempt to say that young people in the race are just viewing it in completely personal terms, like, um, you know, well, Donald, uh, Joe Biden is from a different generation for me and doesn't see things the way I see things. I don't, I'm not getting that out on the campaign show. I think people understand that basic postulate advanced by Joe Biden that we're talking about uh, democracy and the right to vote and freedom and women's control over their own bodies and religious freedom and the right to read the books you want without big brother censors telling you that you can't read them. Like that, that is what the campaign is really about. Now, um, have people raised with me, you know, how's Joe Biden doing? Is he, you know, I mean, the presidency is an enormously stressful job and um, is he too old? And I say, look, I, you know, all I can give you is my own personal evidence. For example, over the weekend, we had our Democratic House retreat and Joe Biden was with us for an hour and a half regaling people with stories he didn't want to leave and he wanted to, you know, talk about, um, you know, about this struggle that we're in um, and uh, how he's outraged by the various antics and provocations of the MAGA people in uh, the House and increasingly in the Senate too. So, you know, he struck me as fine. Obviously, um, you know, somebody who is in their 70s uh, or 80s like Donald Trump or Joe Biden is just in a different phase of life than somebody in their 30s or 40s. Um, that's just a reality. I think people get that. People, people understand it. On the other hand, you get his wisdom and experience on the international stage with his age. And I think the most telling information is what you just said, your personal interactions with him. You see him up close and personal when this first happened and you had Daniel Goldman and I think Cory Booker saying, look, I talked to him right at the time because I was in Israel and he called me to see how I was doing and he's fine. Those are really, I think, influential and need to get covered but in terms of coverage, there is obviously huge coverage of Biden's age and his gaffes. Trump makes as many gaffes, and his seem even crazier to me, um, some of the things he says. And then those things that aren't gaffes, but are his policy announcements, as you just mentioned, NATO. This is insane. So I heard one theory about why the press is covering more of Biden's gaffes 
than Trump's. And that's because they do cover some of his crazier policy things. And so if they're going to be negative on those things, they want to balance that negativity. And there's nothing to say bad about Biden on policy. So they attack him for his gaffes. Do you think that's a possible explanation or is this really media bias? Well, you know, on the list of the top 10 things to worry about in Donald Trump, um, his Asian memory definitely do not make it. I mean, this is a guy with so many vices um, and so many um, sinister motivations that the, the fact that he mixes up um, a woman that he sexually assaults with one of his wives just doesn't rank up there with inviting Vladimir Putin and autocratic aggression against NATO allies or taking millions of dollars from foreign governments in unlawful, unconstitutional emoluments while he was president, right? And then, um, you know, he says something like, well, if Joe Biden's reelected, it means World War II. Now, if if Joe Biden mixed up uh, a hypothetical World War III with World War II, the press would be all over that for days, for just the reason you say, Joe, which is that um, he's standing on the side of democracy and freedom. Uh, Donald Trump uh, is with the autocrats of the world and the dictators of the world. Uh, and, you know, has uh, obviously incited and helped to organize insurrectionary violence and an attempted political coup in the country. So I don't think people have a lot of time to be worried about his memory. Um, so that's a line of attack against Joe Biden that comes from right wingers um, who cannot um, dislodge people's basic understanding that Joe Biden is somebody who stands in the sweep of American history with the Roosevelt's, with the New Deal, with America and uh, the allies against um, Nazis and Mussolini and Franco. And um, Joe Biden is on the side of the civil rights movement, the women's movement, the LGBTQ movement, the human rights movement. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, you're just talking about apples and oranges there. Um, and But, you know, for every memory lapse or malapropism you get from uh, President Biden, and that's a, a lifelong thing that he's dealt with, of course, um, you can find one or two from Donald Trump. But I just say, who cares about that? We're, we're in a struggle between democracy and tyranny. Like, that's the headline story every single day until we get to the election. So before we run out of time, I wanna ask you, I remember bipartisanship and I am deeply troubled by the divisions that we see in Congress now. Are Democrats finding any way to work with Republicans these days? I mean, they did find a bipartisan immigration bill until Donald Trump said, oh, it's too politically helpful to Biden don't pass it, even though it's everything that I've been wanting for all these years. Um, how bad is Congress now, and is there any way to fix this? Well, the House Judiciary Committee unanimously passed a bill um, that um, I'm that I've introduced uh, along with my co-sponsor Kevin Kiley, who's a Republican from California, 
who is a student of mine uh, at Yale Law School, and it's called the Press Act, and it's to give uh, journalists um, a privilege against uh, judicial process and compulsion for their confidential notes. And we were able to, you know, to find the bipartisan, unanimous uh, solidarity there. I've got an, another bill that passed in the Judiciary Committee not long ago. There were a few Republican dissenters, but it was basically bipartisan to say that um, honestly admitting that you've used marijuana should not be the basis for denying somebody security clearance um, in the United States or uh, ruling them ineligible for federal employment. Um, so I think that for at least the younger, more libertarian conservatives, we're able to create some foundation of understanding um, about the excesses of the war on drugs and what's taking place out there. But ba basically the problem is, Jill, that Donald Trump is calling the shots over in the Republican Party. And so Lincoln's party, which started as a party of freedom, anti-slavery and pro-immigration, anti-know-nothing, pro-union, um, has been reduced to a cult of authoritarian personality where people have to suspend their critical thinking skills. And they literally don't know what their position is on almost any subject until Donald Trump tells them what their position is. And I told Republicans, hey, when we get through this period of Trump and Trumpism, you're going to be fit only for selling flowers and incense at Dulles Airport. I mean, you've turned yourself into a cult member, yeah. you know, and it's a tough thing to say, but I, I say it with uh, affection uh, and respect because I used to respect a lot of them. And uh, a lot of them, of course, have had to leave. Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzerger and Mitt Romney are probably the most famous examples, but there are a bunch of others uh, who've left, including, you know, very conservative people like Liz Cheney. Um, but they're operating like a cult. I mean, this goes beyond liberal conservative differences. Uh, Donald Trump's in love with the dictators of the world. Don't forget those valentines he sent back and forth with um, the dictator of North Korea. And um, all of the love he has openly professed for Vladimir Putin and she in China. I mean, you name me a dictator autocrat, and that that's somebody that uh, Donald Trump wants to pal around with. And then he he develops his positions reflexively based on um, these crushes that he gets on autocrats. And then the rest of them just do whatever he tells them to do. It's just the dampest thing I ever saw. Um, and so we've had lots of cases, not just the immigration case, which is the famous one now, where the Republicans demand something and then they get everything or materially and substantially everything that they really wanted. I mean, they said that they didn't want to get aid to Israel and to the suffering people of Gaza and to our besieged Democratic allies in Ukraine under the gun by Putin's fascist imperialist invasion. They didn't want to do that because we needed to deal with the border first. So we dealt with the border. You had Senator Lankford, very conservative Republican coming back, Senator McConnell, the head of the Senate Republicans coming back and saying, okay, we got what we wanted. And then no, they veto it. Why? Well, um, either it's because Donald Trump wants something to run on. And so he needs immigration border problems, not solutions, or and or because Vladimir Putin doesn't want $60 billion 
going to the people of Ukraine to um, supply them with the artillery and other weapons they need to try to rebuff his assault against Ukraine. I mean, that's extraordinary what's taking yeah. place now. And, and um, before Victor asked the last question, I just have to say the hypocrisy of the Republicans. Mike Johnson just said, well, we can't go ahead with aid to Ukraine, Israel, um, et cetera, because we wanted border safety here first. And now we're not tying this aid to foreign countries to the border. Well, that's because they defeated the border bill. But it's precisely because Johnson and Trump and uh, the right wing MAGA forces in the Senate tanked the whole thing. Now, they don't want aid going to Ukraine. Um, they don't want humanitarian assistance going to anyone. They don't. They didn't, didn't even really care about aid to Israel. They've played politics with it uh, numerous times now. Um, it's it's all Donald Trump. It's whatever he wants. Um, and, um, you know, so we, we have to deal with that cultishness and fanaticism that has now come to subsume an entire political party. It's a scary situation. Um, so I'm glad you guys are out there uh, fighting hard uh, to try to uphold the rule of law and to stand strong for democracy. Well, that sounds like another reason to vote for Democrats uh, in this election and to elect not only you again, but also uh, make Hakeem Jeffries the Speaker of the House. And maybe we'll have some uh, order and, and, and sense um, in the House again. I know you have to run, Congressman Raskin. Um, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. It's, Vic it's a pleasure to be with you, Victor. And thank you, Jill. Great to see you guys. Thank you. Thanks so much. Jill, that was such a great episode with Congressman Raskin. And this is a week that's already been filled with a lot of news. Um, we mentioned that Trump's team has now asked the Supreme Court to block the uh, D.C. Court of Appeals ruling um, regarding his presidential immunity for his actions on January 6th. Um, what do you make of that? And maybe let's talk about that a little bit, because I think a lot of people are now concerned about what the Supreme Court will do after what they did last week. It seems like they were very skeptical about the 14th Amendment, Section 3, um, and kicking Trump off the ballot in Colorado. Um, but what do you make of this? And is that? And do you think the Supreme Court will be as sympathetic to uh, their arguments? So before I answer that, I just want to say, of course, it was a great episode because Jamie Raskin is great. He yes, is yes. one of the most intelligent, savvy members of Congress. I mean, he really makes you feel proud. And, and, and just a great human being, you know, someone who's gone through so much loss, like President Biden, so much just suffering. And, and, and I think you can really see that he's a very warm and charismatic person and um, such an effective messenger for our side. And so I, I totally Absolutely. agree with you. He is terrific. If we had had more time, I would have asked him about any presidential hopes he might have in the future, because I think- Well, stay tuned. We'll have to have him back on. <laughs> yes, exactly. So um, anyway, back to the question of the immunity. Um, I have read the brief that his team filed. And I do note that the lawyer who so effectively argued um, on the 14th Amendment is not on this brief. Um, I don't know if it's because he thought this is a loser. I don't want to be affiliated with it or whether he was just too busy. I mean, I, I, I have no idea. Just 
noting that. Um, and the brief basically reargues all the things they've argued all along. And it wasn't effective in the trial court. It wasn't effective in the court of appeals. And I don't think it will be here because the arguments are just, they're wrong. And I can go through a whole, you know, I, I, I took, let's see, one, two, um, two full pages of oh my God. A, a little more than that um, in little teeny handwriting, um, going through it on things that I think are important. Um, but first, let me point out that I don't want people to misperceive it. This is an application for a stay of the mandate. It isn't a substantive argument. It's saying, I'm likely to win and you're likely to grant cert. So therefore you should not let the stay issue or the, the mandate issue, because if the mandate issues, the stay on the trial will be lifted and we can go back to discovery. And man, I want delay, I want delay. And all of this is delay because he also suggests in it that he wants this stay of the order so that he can go for an en banc hearing, which means, okay, you go from the trial court to the court of appeals, three judge panel. Now, instead of going straight to the Supreme Court as Smith wants to do, he wants to go for an en banc hearing with all 11 justice uh, judges of the uh, court of appeals for the District of Columbia. And then when he loses there, which I predict he easily would, and so does everybody else, then yeah. he would appeal to the Supreme Court. He wants delay so that this trial doesn't happen before the primaries are over, doesn't happen before the November election. That's his goal. It doesn't matter that his arguments are frivolous. My prediction, or maybe it's just my Pollyanna hope, is that the court, the Supreme Court, will deny the stay and will deny cert on the substance, that they will say, mm -hmm. There is a terrific opinion below. It thoroughly analyzes all of the issues. It rebuts and rejects all of the arguments already. You know, it's not like these are new arguments. It's the same arguments he's made at both levels. And yeah. um, on the merits, the arguments are really bad. I mean, he cites civil cases for immunity, which have very different values than a criminal case. He makes arguments for absolute and total immunity, not even limited. It's give me immunity so that I can send SEAL Team 6 to kill my opponents. Right, That's what right. he's arguing, not, I'm not making this up. That's what he said, you know, and it's, it, it's just, it's, it's terrible to even think that you would say that, but his lawyers did argue that. So I, I do right. not think that there will be a long time for a decision on this. He also argues against expedition saying, oh, these are such novel questions. You need to think about them. No, you don't. Um, there's enough legislative history, enough um, precedent uh, in the courts that I think the court can, as it has in nationally significant cases like Bush v. Gore, like US v. Nixon, they act fast and we can yeah. get back to the trial proceedings. Absolutely. 
um, that's very important. Um, and we'll, we'll see what happens there. Um, but, you know, would you have any, do you have any expectation or, or any predictions on when the Supreme Court might return the 14th Amendment Section 3 uh, decision? I, I hate to ever predict anything. Yeah, that's true. Once especially again, with this court. Especially with this court, but really with any court, because you just never know, um, or with a jury. I mean, you know, some juries come back in a few hours, as has happened recently with E. Jean Carroll, and some uh, juries take days or weeks. And, um, yeah. you know, it you can't predict. It doesn't always matter how long the trial was. But in any event, I do think that where you don't have a jury, where you have just a court that can take judicial notice of the danger of not making a decision and not letting people know right away. I mean, there are primaries going ahead where he is on the ballot that if they say he's not entitled to be on the ballot would be wasting your vote to vote for him. Right. And, and not that he can't be on the ballot, but that he can't hold office. Let's say they say he can be on the ballot, but he can never be inaugurated. Well, why would anyone vote for someone who can't be inaugurated? Pick one of the other candidates. So I, I, I just think they will understand that they have to do this quickly and that they will. It's important yeah, for yeah. the country's future. Yeah, uh, it, it just, you know, I think back to something that Congressman Raskin said about just the moment that we're living in right now and, you know, how we're in a moment where a, in a, 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 a indictment for Donald Trump benefits him politically and then the special counsel's report exonerating President Biden somehow hurts him politically. It's just how warped of a moment do we live in right now? And it's just you just hope the public is going to understand us as we head into Election Day. And, you know, we talk about this a lot about what it will take for the media to start covering, I think, Trump's, you know, threats and, and his verbal statements with the seriousness it deserves, and then what it will take for them to start focusing on President Biden's policies, which are, I think, what real Americans care about. Um, and I think until they do that, do that, um, we're just living in this kind of era where somehow Trump is benefiting from all of this and Biden just does not seem to be seeing higher approval ratings. And I think a lot of it has to do with our media. And I think a lot of it, hopefully, you know, as, as Democrats, we can be loud and vocal about this and push back. Um, but it's just so depressing to see. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I just hope that we can all come together and, and realize, you know, what how, how big the stakes are in this election. You know, inflation went down again. It was announced today. Yeah. And I mean, everything is so good that it is absurd. Um, and, and as you pointed out in the opening to our discussion with um, Congressman Raskin, the report should have said, we have reviewed the evidence and there is not sufficient evidence to convict. And so we declined to indict and period. That's all it needed to say. And they say on the first page instead, he yeah. willfully withheld. And then 200 pages later say, but there's actually no, not enough evidence to show that. And there are innocent explanations for everything that happened. And we cannot rebut any of those innocent explanations. So right. that is, we heard. There's, there's, there's I a great. Do this. Yeah. 
there's a great um, corrective uh, piece by Andrew Weissman, Ryan Goodman, and Just Security, which sort of takes the words of the special counsel's um, report and says what it should have said, and then it encourages the media to read it better because I think. Um, a lot of the media is reading it wrong, and that's a big, you know, Andrew Weissman was on Jen Psaki this weekend, and I watched him, and he was very, very infuriated, as he should have been, as, he, as any prosecutor would be, about how the media is totally treating this just not with, you know, any sort of honesty. And so um, I think I think it's a, it's a piece worth reading if any of you all uh, have time, and if there are any journalists listening to this, you should also read that, because uh, I think it does a good job of uh, course correcting what her did. Um, well, thank you everyone for watching this episode of iGen Politics with Congressman Jamie Raskin. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the episode with this American hero as much as we did. We'll be back next week for another episode of iGen Politics. So uh, in the meantime, be sure to subscribe to us wherever you follow your podcast. We are literally everywhere. Also rate us there so it helps others find this podcast. Um, and if you want to watch us on YouTube, you can do that uh, and see uh, Jill's Phenomenals pins, um, and, and they are great today. She has, Jill, what is, explain your pin for us. It, I already did, but it's um, sort of a Picasso-esque crazy face. And to <laughs> me, it represents the crazy, crazy times we're living in. And even the things that you were just mentioning is how does Donald Trump benefit from yeah. 91 count indictments? How does he benefit from saying, I'm not going to defend any NATO countries? when he falsely says that they haven't paid their dues, which is not true. How does Joe Biden's age and gaffes get attacked when he's doing a phenomenal job? That's crazy times. And that's why I'm wearing this pin. And I will uh, we'll post it in our show notes and in our announcements about this. And also I wanna remind you all that if you have questions for us, you can send them in to us and we will try to answer them in our feeds on threads and on x and on and we have an email it's igp at politicon.com so if you have any questions uh for us you can also send it via email on igp at politicon.com uh like Joel said too we are both on x twitter threads although you can't dm on threads so if you want to dm us you can do that on twitter or um i guess instagram but find us there send us your questions let us know what you think of our episodes um, and again, we appreciate all of you for listening or watching. Uh, and thank you, everyone. We'll see you next week.